0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Big League Philanthropist podcast, where we talk to athletes and nonprofits about the power of sports and what they're doing to make a difference in their communities. I'm your host, Danielle Berman. I am the founder and CEO of Tackle What's Next, where we share perspectives, stories and insights to make sure all athletes are ready to tackle what's next, whatever that is. Join me and learn more about how athletes are making an impact how sports can be used to make our communities better and how our guests are changing not only their own lives, but also the lives of others all over the world. Welcome to the big league philanthropist. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the big league philanthropist and our last episode of season four If this is your first time tuning in to The Big League Philanthropist, I really encourage you to take some time after this episode to check out our other season four guests and our guests in our previous three seasons. I cannot believe we're already finished our season four. All guests on our show have shared some incredible stories and amazing advice. You will not want to miss it. You will not regret tuning in to any episodes on that list. But this week, we are joined by Tori Ramataboye. Tori graduated from the University of Michigan. She holds a bachelor's degree in sport management with a minor in community action and social change, which we talked about because I was so fascinated. Uh, She also has a master's in social work with a focus on children and youth. She obtained her executive certificate in sport philanthropy from the George Washington University, and she uh, she works for now the U.S. Soccer Foundation, where she joined them in February 2019 as a Program associate, and she's since tackled many roles across the Soccer for Success program to support training, technical assistance, curriculum development, events, grant management, and special projects for the organization. Prior to joining U.S. Soccer Foundation, she was the director of development at Come Play Detroit, which where she helped to grow community programming and partnerships, ultimately increasing opportunities for physical activity and play throughout the city, and she was a community affairs intern at the Detroit Tigers. She was in Lesotho for the as a Peace Corps volunteer, um, where she worked at the intersection of health and youth programs for more than two years. So I was so excited to sit down with Tori and talk more about the work she does. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. We talk a lot about the importance of intersectionality within sports and having these different conversations with folks of different backgrounds. Tori talks a lot about her own journey, the work that they're doing at the U.S. Soccer Foundation uh, and what she's learned. and, And of course, what she feels philanthropy means to her and some other great questions that, you know, we were talking about so I am so excited to bring you this episode. Before we get into our chat, we're on season five, guys. We're on season five of the Big League Philanthropist. We're focusing on getting some interviews locked in. So if you know athletes, or organizations doing something great, please feel free to let us know. You can email us at info at com. We'll reach out to them, get them on the show. And of course, you can subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify so we can reach even more incredible listeners just like you. So and sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation. I think you're gonna love it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Tori Ramataboye. Hi, everybody. Well, I am here live with Tori Ramataboye, who is the Senior Associate of the Soccer for Success Programs at the U.S. Soccer Foundation. Tori, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Danielle. So excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to uh, go into a little bit more about the work you do at the U.S. Soccer Foundation, but I wanted to start just by diving into you and your background a little bit uh, before you joined the foundation um, and kind of got into this kind of community development space, you graduated from Michigan, University of Michigan, with a degree in sport management, and you got a minor in community action and social change, which I love, uh, and then got a master's degree in social work. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to pursue these degrees and how your college and, and master's experience has prepared you for some of the work you're doing today. Yes.
1: So I've been asked this question before. And what I tell people is I've been on this journey of, you know, just figuring out what I want to do with sport and in social work. It's kind of a unique combination. And the journey certainly has not been linear. And so it all starts with my undergraduate experience. I was in sport management because I knew I loved Playing sports, I just didn't know the, what a career looked like, so I was constantly searching for, you know, those experiences that helped me figure that out. And I had the fortunate opportunity to go to the 2010 men's world cup in South Africa and do a study abroad trip. So I studied globalization sport and development while in Durban, South Africa. And as a part of those studies, I spent a week where I was facilitating a sports camp for youth in a local township. We were teaching them about HIV and AIDS through soccer. And that was really the first time it hit me that soccer could be used as a tool for youth development, for community development. Um, And when I got back stateside, I was like, how can I continue to find other organizations doing this work and just learn more about this space? And so my school had a master's program in social work um, and they also had a minor. And so as an undergrad, I pursued the minor. I was one of the first sport management students to do so. And I had a lot of encouragement from the faculty and, and folks who became our mentors in that school and really helped connect me to other like-minded folks. And so that's ultimately what helped me to to continue these studies uh, as I I learned more about that intersection. So um, that was really kind of where my journey began and what inspired me Um, in terms of how it prepared me for the work that I do today. I learned a lot about the principles and the frameworks of social justice and social work And that helps me to better understand the interconnectedness of privilege, oppression, diversity, social justice, Mm -hmm. um, and gaining those tools and that mindset really helps me to think critically and work um, like ethically with these communities who have historically been underserved and underrepresented. And so what that looks like now is being thoughtful and how I uphold the dignity and the respect of every individual and community that I work with, Um, knowing that I should be approaching my work with humility. I don't have all of the answers and knowing that those that I'm working with are experts in their own lived experiences and it's my job to connect individuals and communities with resources and support that they need in order to thrive. So I really see social work as being a bridge to connect folks. And those are some of the tools I learned to connect mine.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I, I think there's so many good takeaways there, but first of all, being one of the few sport management majors that did this minor in the community action, social change, and that social work kind of field, I think is so awesome that you're working now in this kind of sport for development space, because we need more people with the background in this work kind of doing, doing these kinds of things, because I think you brought up a couple good points around really coming to the work with this understanding of what some of these communities are going through, but trusting that they know more than you and, and you need to listen to them and build these relationships with them. Uh, so I really, I really love that. And I'm excited to dive in more to how that actually goes through kind of some of the day-to-day projects you guys do at U.S. Soccer Foundation. But I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned you always you wanted to work in sports and you knew you wanted to work in sports. Did you play sports as a kid? How how did sports become part of the, I really want to do this? Um um, and if you did, you know, did you ever see it guiding your path and and where you got to today? Yeah, I, I was the oldest of three. My parents were young and
1: my dad was, you know, he was the coach, the ref, the he was an athletic director. He okay. was a high school teacher. He was all these things. And so I always went with him to athletic events and then consequently perhaps ended up always. Trying different sports all throughout my childhood, and I played a lot of sports when I was younger, but then I started to specialize as I got into high school in volleyball and It wasn't until I was in the sport management program and I was in this this minor that helped me reflect on my experiences and why I wanted to do this work when I realized that sport really had a great impact on my life mm-hmm. and what that impact was like, and so I was starting to pick apart you know on an individual level. Uh sport taught me how to manage my team. I was a setter. And so I was managing like not only an offense and how we can do the best play, but also, you know, how I can um, bring folks together and, and bring energy when we needed it and, and help get us momentum back in our team. Um, It taught me humility. I made varsity as a freshman and then I was asked to play down on JV as a freshman to get more playing time and, you know, I I sat the bench many more opportunities after that and just trying to learn, you know, how can I be the best teammate for my team in in those moments um, and, and just make sure I'm contributing, learning about perseverance and leadership as well. And so I think often we look at those more individual impacts, but social work gave me that framework to also look at the more macro level systems level um, impacts of sport and I started to realize that I was very fortunate I was very privileged to have access to organized sports programs um, that were low cost I had access to coaches and parents who really helped me to develop um, the love for the game and didn't pressure me to to be the best and to go you know to college or on scholarship um, I also, you know, had the school and club teams and I could afford to just be a part of these, these things. I always had those opportunities. And so being able to pick that apart, it helped me understand, like, I am so fortunate it made such a big impact on my life. And I want to help provide those opportunities to those who may not have them. So that's mm-hmm. ultimately also what helped me get out of this path.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it's it's fun. It's fun that you were able to try a lot of different sports before you got into to volleyball and kind of sticking with that. But I love that it wasn't just like, oh, you know, how am I doing or how is it impacting me? But I love the emphasis on the team and bringing people together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very clear that that stayed with you. And obviously, in the work you're doing today. Uh, and you mentioned earlier when you're talking about Um, your background that you went to Durban for the World Cup and you did studied abroad there and I know you also were involved with the Peace Corps so can you tell me a little bit about these experiences like going into other cultures going into other places working in these other countries and you know not only do you have the social work background this passion for sports and all the good that it can do tell me a little bit about why going out and being a part of these different communities around the world um, has you know kind of affected the work that you do and and you know what what you wanted to do? How did that kind of affect where you decided to go?
1: Yeah, the city abroad opportunity in Durban was my first time leaving the country. And okay. so, um, you know, spending a month and a half, I was just like, this was incredible. It it helped to open my eyes, as mm-hmm. I think it does for many people when they first experience different culture or country for the first time. And I knew I wanted more of that and i learned more about the peace corps as i started to study social work and i just i had been in school for so long i was like i want to put these things into practice i want to mm-hmm. see how i can measure up to what i'm learning and and really cultivate the experiences to match these skills and the this knowledge base that i'm you know acquiring and so that's really why i wanted to go into the peace corps and then Um, I think there's also this perception of volunteers that, you know, they're off to change the world. Um, And you would definitely as a Peace Corps volunteer, I wanted to make an impact on others. But honestly, the biggest thing I learned was going into another culture. I met a person who was like, I spent the first year just getting to know my community and having those relationships really helped me learn how I can make the best impact in a year because two years is kind of a long time and you don't need to hit the ground running right away and Mm. that's the biggest I was like okay like don't put so much pressure on yourself like get to know folks and and get to learn your community and like what resources are there because i was a stranger and i can't come in here and be like this is how you create you know income for you and your family and this is how you learn about hiv and aids prevention and this is how you should do things um it really helped me to understand the individuals first, what they value, how they operate. Um, And they were just so welcoming and so kind. And it was I'm very thankful that it was an easy process to be a part of. And I was very much welcomed into the community. Um, And so by building those relationships with folks, I was able to go to the schools where these students were, these teachers were and run programs and they trusted me. And I think that was a big part of it was, you know, as a white woman in a country where there are a lot of black folks, black Africans, um, just total opposite. I stuck out like a thorsa, uh, I stuck out like a sore thumb and to, to be welcomed and to be trusted. Um, that was really important to me. And I was just so thankful that the opportunities that I had to work with the youth clubs in, in the communities, um, they allowed me to do that. And I listened to them. And, you know, sometimes it was like, come teach us how to do a dance and we're going to perform it at our graduation. I was like, well, this is a new one, but (laughs) let's do it. And then I ended up, you know, we ended up having some really incredible conversations about what it means to be a student in this grade or to attend this school um, or to be a girl Mm -hmm. in, in that society. And so, yeah, it was just really incredible. And I think it's a very undervalued outcome, especially for foreign service is to say, like, I learned so much about myself and my worldview, and I'm now a better citizen because of it.
0: So yeah, that's what where were one. you when you did the peace corps?
1: I was in Lesotho in it's a little beautiful mountainous landlocked country in South Africa. So they sent me right back. Okay, Um, so I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't far.
0: (laughs) Okay, awesome. No, I I love that. And I love the the perspective that your your friend gave you of I just listened for a while and I didn't try to come in, you know, guns blazing, saying, okay, here's all the things we need to accomplish in six months. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really powerful for anyone starting something that's trying to make an impact is if you are coming into something that you are not educated on or you just don't know, you don't have experience, then take the time to immerse yourself in that culture, in that community, uh, in that experience of what does this mean? What do they have? What do they not have? What is helpful? What is not and talk to people. So I think that's great advice for anyone diving into the world of of impact. Because I think a lot of times we have these preconceived notions of like, here's how to make change. And here's what we need to do. And here's Mm -hmm. this blueprint. But it's such a great point that like, sometimes you just need to to take lead from those folks that are there, that are doing the work every day, that are living these experiences, and let them guide you to say, here's what we need. Can you help us make it happen? And I think that's really, really good advice for anyone thinking about these kinds of big projects. Because yeah, Mm -hmm. you get kind of sucked into like the, okay, here's the game plan, and we're going to make it work, and we're going to move forward. And, you know, it's, it's hard not to get caught up in that world. But I think it's such a great point to like not put pressure on yourself to solve it overnight. Mm-hmm. Like this is long-term, sustainable solutions that we're looking for, not immediate Band-Aid fixes, right? So, I Exactly. Yeah. I love I think there's always that opportunity at the very
1: beginning of entering a community where you can level set and say, here's where I am. Where are you? And yeah. how do you create this roadmap to like meet in the middle and build something really awesome?
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. That I think that's such a great advice. And I know you've, you've worked, you worked a little bit in the pro sports world. Then you came into the philanthropy space with Come Play Detroit. Now you're at the U.S. Soccer Foundation. What, what stands out to you as kind of the big difference between, let's say the pro sports side of the industry and now kind of the sport for good, the sport for development side of the industry. And, you know, wh- what stands out to you and, and what were you most excited about jumping over to the philanthropic side of things?
1: Yeah, I I was, you know, still on that journey and like, wow, I really want to know what it's like to work in a front office and working for a professional sports team is so different from working for like a community-based social enterprise versus now a national endowed nonprofit. Um, And so I can't like necessarily generalize between them, but what I can say is moving from a business that is focused on revenue to spaces that are more philanthropic, um, there's, for me, a huge difference when you are working for an organization or a company that centers, like the, you center yourself and your success on community impact mm-hmm. and, and how you achieve that authentically Um, so that's been the biggest thing that I've recognized in my work recently on the more philanthropic side is it's not just about the like what are we doing what are we doing we're creating like long-term impact uh, for youth and for communities right but it's also about the how Mm. and it's about the who you're doing it with and so not only am I you know, being really intentional, and I have folks who are coming from like the public health field, and the education field, and social work, and also like yes, there are people who have played soccer professionally that I work with. Right, um, being able to harness all of those identities and experiences, um, and do it for for good, it just it it makes. A world of difference for me and and I really enjoy being able to work in this space because of the cause and because of the people um, and because of the organizations doing the work um, is just really inspiring for me so that's kind of been the biggest difference.
0: Yeah, no, I I think it's a great point that you're bringing all these different people together in terms of, like you said, former athletes in the sport, these nonprofits on the ground that you're supporting in different communities, you know, your own team, these experts in different spaces, kind of all coming together for a common cause that isn't necessarily like hitting last month's revenue numbers, but really just like What impact are we making? How are we making the world better? How are we doing some of the things you talked about earlier, listening to those community members and filling needs and helping to kind of create, um, you know, fills for some of the gaps that we're seeing in communities around the country. So, Now I want to dive into, you know, what, what your role is. So we said, you know, soccer for success program, right. You know, I want to learn more about what that is. What do you do? And uh, to give us a little bit of background around the foundation as a whole, your specific program and, and kind of the work that you do.
1: Ooh, lots to, (laughs) lots to share here. Let me see, Um, background on the U.S. Soccer Foundation, we were created in 1994 as the philanthropic arm of the World Cup that last happened here in the United States, it's been quite a while. Um, But we've, yeah, we've been in existence since then. I am a senior associate on the programs team. Um, So we carry out the programs that are happening in communities across the country. And as a part of that role, I support training and curriculum development for the Soccer for Success After School program. Um, so, with these four programs, Soccer for Success itself is an evidence-based program that achieves various health and wellness outcomes for youth in underserved communities. That is the large focus of our work is we do work with Organizations who serve underserved communities Mm -hmm. throughout the United States, specifically. Uh, And after school takes place in the after school space. We also have a part of Soccer for Success that takes place in schools. And we leverage physical education time and those PE teachers, sometimes even classrooms, to utilize this curriculum where they're learning about soccer, but also life skills at the same time we have a coach mentor training program that we've just starting to roll out that brings our coach mentor methodology to folks outside of just the soccer space and so coach mentor is a really big buzzword for us we believe that coaches have a captive audience of young people and more often than not they are role models to these these young athletes and so we have developed trainings, we've developed resources and materials to help adults really understand, oh, look at this sunlight, to really <laughs> understand what it means to be intentional about building these life skills, about building more than just character, but but like perseverance and understanding who this kid is as an individual and what they're going through so that they can meet their needs outside of playing sports. Mm. And so that's just a really exciting program that we're excited to bring to more sports organizations. And we also have our, our mini pitch initiative, which is building infrastructure around the country. So our goal there is to build more than 1000 mini pitches come 2026. And we're more than halfway there, which is really exciting. And we have the structure that we can go to land owners. Um, You know, if there's underutilized land, whether it's a rundown basketball court an old tennis court or just a corner of a park that isn't being used and build these safe places to play, um, that are also ADA accessible. And we, we kind of trick them out with cool local arts and make them just a really fun space so that kids can come and play pickup. It's usually like 5v5. And what's beautiful about that is we're now leveraging these spaces across the country, particularly in New York and Los Angeles, to create a hyper localized league where kids can show up they've got their little group of friends and they can play, you know, kind of like a king of the court, queen of the court uh, style game where they're cool. just rotating in and out. Um, and we call that League Just Ball. It's in partnership with Adidas. And so it's really cool to see all these programs like starting to grow and and really just like be very interconnected. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can get folks outside of soccer just involved in our programs. But really we're excited just to grow those and to see where it takes us on our path to 2026.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, you know, you mentioned starting with 1994, the World Cup, that's kind of how you guys got got started. And we got another World Cup coming to North America in just a couple years. It's hard to believe almost, almost three years away. Um, and I think the programs you mentioned, are really exciting because you kind of mentioned infrastructure and then you mentioned coaches, which I agree, like so important in this process of educating young people are the people that they talk, you know, that talk to them and, you know, are the role models that they follow, which are a lot of times their coaches. And then, you know, the, the after school programs and supporting other organizations that are using soccer, whether it's schools and their curriculum and PE, whether it's after school programs that are already in the communities working with, you know, dis- disadvantaged, uh, you know, community members. I think it's really cool that you guys have so many different arms that you're able to leverage. Um, And I think the last couple of years have proven really challenging for a lot of community organizations, being that we were dealing with pandemic and COVID. And so I wanted to know specifically from your end, right, you're doing programming, you're working with after school programs, you're working with kids, and a lot of these things just either disappeared or changed a lot of what they did in the last couple years due to all these restrictions. You know what, what were some of those challenges that you had to overcome that you and your team had to overcome and Mm -hmm. how did you continue to support those programs the last couple of years. And, you know, once you answer that, then I'd love to know, is there anything that you've like implemented from that, that you learned during this time that you were like, Hey, this actually is a great thing we can keep doing even outside of crazy mm-hmm. pandemic times. So, you know, just dive into that a little bit. I know there were like three or four questions in there, but
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. We, we did a lot because recognizing that we are operating in these communities that were heavily impacted by COVID. I mean, when you look at the statistics of folks who are getting sick and like the death rate and just like how that broke down into the demographics, not only were our communities being disproportionately affected where our programming was being run, but being a program that operates in person, sometimes indoors, in close contact with others, um, and is more is very connected to the school system as well, um, there was just a lot of challenges in actually being to run in-person programming. It affected the sports industry as a whole and that did not omit youth sports in any way. So what we did was actually a 180. We acted pretty quickly in the first couple of months just to learn about what our options were um, to to alter alter our programming and to continue to provide these opportunities to kids. And what we ended up coming up with was these four levels of accessibility. Um, And so in addition to our in-person programming, which had its own curriculum and training attached to it, we came up with three additional levels. We had um, videos that were created in English and in Spanish. So they could, you know, a link or a QR code was put on a flyer and all a kid had to do was like, pull it up on their computer or on whatever mobile device they had. And it was using things that they had at home, like soup cams or like socks that you could turn into a soccer ball and doing drills literally in your home, because that's where kids were for so long. Um, and then how to run the curriculum in home, but virtually with a coach um, who is still able to show up in the virtual space and providing guidance and best practices on how to do that. And then we also created an in person but socially distanced curriculum as well. So we set up like player zones and how kids could stay socially distant and safe, um, but still be outside and still maintain some sort of connectedness to one another. And so we had that for almost two years. This time last year, we were still using those programs. But what was really unique about this was you could use them interchangeably. So you can go from doing videos at home one week. Um, to being in person the next, or what happened a lot with our, our programs in schools was they'd be in person. And then one positive would mean, you know, you had to go home or you had to um, not, you know, programming wouldn't be allowed. And so then we were making sure they had options to be in home as well. And so that's the biggest lesson that we learned is that we could continue to operate in this virtual space. So we still have those options available, but If we learned anything from this past spring, it's that kids wanted to be in in community with one another. They wanted to be with their coach. They want to be in person. And so while we continue to allow that, um, you know, we still have other options for them, but one other really incredible thing that came out of the pandemic was we were doing an initiative called United for girls, um, before the pandemic hit. And we really had to also pivot that where we were going to figure out what are the best strategies for us to attract and retain young girls, but also women coaches and soccer programs. And, we still, we had a cohort of 20 partners who were testing and deploying these different strategies. And while we couldn't collect the data to validate what were best practices, we have incredible promising practices. We actually just released a report an International Day of the Girl last month and we highlight more than 50 strategies for how organizations and underserved communities can attract and retain girl participants. And then we also provide the tools and the structures for you to evaluate where you're at on your gender equity journey and how you can best select strategies and implement them in your own organization um, for any youth sports program. So um, that was a really cool thing that also came out of the pandemic. It's called the United for Girls Count Her and Playbook. Um, so yeah, we've, we've been up to a lot, but some really good things still came out of the pandemic and it was a perfect opportunity for a lot of our programs just to think and also reset and figure out how can we best return to play and be inclusive when we do that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I love the idea that it was an opportunity to kind of go, okay, what haven't we tried yet? Or what's what do we need to do to kind of make sure that the basic goal of impact, getting kids out there, getting kids playing, getting kids, you know, engaged in this community is met. Uh, and I love the United for Girls program. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I think the the opportunity to mix and match virtual and in person programming for your coaches and for your programs with the kids you support, I think is another great benefit um, and I know we're, we're getting close to the end of this interview and I just have a few more questions for you, but I, I want to kind of pivot to, um, the, the, the idea of being a philanthropist and, and what that's about. I think your background and the work that you've done throughout your career, you've had so many different experiences. So I'd love to hear from you. What does being a philanthropist mean in your mind and and what does that look like to you?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah traditionally when i think of philanthropy it's about money and um i haven't always been in the position to be donating money right and so the way that i've shaped thinking about philanthropy is how can i as an individual be giving of my time and my talents and my connections that i build with other people i'm i'm extroverted and i love being able to connect folks to one another and really just um help support people in that way and so that's kind of how I define philanthropy and when we are building programs and relationships when we are working with our coaches we're realizing that like you are giving of your time a lot of these folks in nonprofits go above and beyond Um, what I love working with program partners on on the ground for soccer for success is that they know their communities so well. They show up during the week for programs. They also show up at night to help run the programs in the leagues. And then they show up on the weekend to run the tournaments. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, while it's a job, it's also you're being a philanthropist because you're giving of your time, but then you're also giving of yourself and helping to build those relationships and sustain a program that becomes a really foundational, impactful experience for, families and for youth. And so um yeah, I think that whether you're giving that time or whether you're giving of your talents, um, it's hard to be a coach especially for like the K through two kids, like yeah. the really young ones who are just like getting out their energy. You really have to have a wide range of skills and, um, you know, tools in your box to, yeah. to really run a practice sometimes. Um, and that goes, you know, that goes up through all the way up through high school. Um, but also in, in being a mentor, um, being really intentional is also just like another added layer of, of, like really important skills, but also just like some people have a knack for it, and are so good and I really consider like coaches, program folks, volunteers, all who like work with nonprofits and youth sports programs, um putting in the time to learn new systems and structures and how we can best weave sport and philanthropy um i I really consider all those folks philanthropists,
0: yeah, I love that, and I think that the idea that it it isn't just money but it's time it's talents it's relationships it's showing up and you know like you said coaching in in many cases for especially youth sports is a lot of times volunteer and and that's a that's a, a philanthropist right there too giving of yourself so you know I think just two more questions for you one if our listeners should take anything away with the work you're doing at the U.S. Soccer Foundation what would it be what would you want it to be
1: I've met people and talked about my work, and sometimes the first thing that they say is like, well, I'm not an athlete or a soccer player, or I don't work in sports, and um, I actually love hearing that. I think the, the biggest idea that I'm an advocate of in my position is that we have so much to learn from one another. Sport and the impact that it can have on society and in communities, it's transcendental Um, It doesn't have boundaries. And so if I'm working in the sports space, I can just as easily learn about um, impact, how to engage girls, how to bring community engagement to my program, how to build SEL into my program from folks who are running a coding program for kids, or from a mental health psychologist, or from someone who's in public health. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I think I really encourage that cross disciplinary sharing and um, just being open to learning from others, because there's a lot of really cool ways that you can infuse um, all these different practices and knowledge bases into youth development and sports.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, your early days in college kind of saying, you know, I want to be a sport management major and study social work and community impact. And those things don't always (laughs) go together. And so I think it's that cross disciplinary idea has kind of been with you since the beginning. So I love that that's the takeaway and that you guys are doing that at your organization as well. Um, and then my last question for you is, you know, what advice do you have for athletes, founders of nonprofits, people that want to go out, individuals really even, that they want to speak up about issues that matter to them or they want to make change in their communities, they want to give back, they want to do some of this work. What advice do you have about getting started and how they can actually work to to drive some of that change?
1: Yeah, I think start with small in mind. I'm personally someone who gets very overwhelmed thinking like, oh, it needs to be big. I need to be like Malala, right? Like, I don't know how, (laughs) like, she's incredible. And just learning about the small individual changes you can make on a day-to-day basis, I think are just a really impactful place to start. And so for me, it was learning about how can I be an advocate? How can I learn about being an ally to others that I personally can't identify with for Mm -hmm. like their experiences that they've had, right? Um, How can I take anti-bias training or how can I take bystander intervention training so I can help to interrupt these systems and injustices that I see? I think that's just as impactful when you start small scale. And I mean, when you can do something like that for someone and also then like with a community, I think that's just so, yeah, it's so meaningful and it's so yeah. impactful. And so I think, and that's for me is like a very practical first step. Um, and you can learn a lot from not only learning these things, but also putting them into practice. So yeah. um, that would be my advice.
0: No, I I love it. Start with you, right? What can you do every day or in your general day-to-day? What can you learn? What can you implement? What can you help with in your own community? Like you said, don't try to change the world overnight. You know, really try to change your own world, your own day, your own, like you said, bias and learning more about what you individually can do and then starting to grow on it from there once you really start to learn. So I think that's really, really great advice. So Yeah. yeah. If you change the world, like I'm so happy for you. I want to see that too. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're not saying don't try to change the world, but maybe not right away. Maybe not first goal. Set some goals first to kind of go start with take the small wins. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Tori, thank you so much. This has been so great. Before you go, I'd love you to let us know where can people learn more about the U.S. Soccer Foundation, some of the programs you guys have, and then tell us a little bit about, you know, your goals for the World Cup as you guys close out, as we close out here Anything that you want people to know how they can support as you guys build up to, uh, 2026. Oh my
1: gosh. There are so many exciting things coming down the pipe that I don't even know about yet. (laughs) I just know that again, it's going back to relationship building and we'll see what comes out of it. Um, but you can find the U S soccer foundation on Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, Instagram. We've always got really exciting updates on there. Our handles vary, so I don't want to say the wrong one.
0: We'll put them um, in the you notes easily, so people yeah, can, find, you can them. Yeah, yeah. find
1: them. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn as well um and then what was the other question you asked yeah um, no
0: just anything that you know that people can support as you guys build up for 2026 too yes
1: so as we're building up to 2026 um if you're interested in learning more about our programs check out our website we have an entire page dedicated to all the things that i talked about if you want to help support a possible soccer for success program in your area if you're interested in becoming a coach mentor um, we've got trainings or if you want to bring that to your organization, um, or if you want to bring soccer for success to your school or a mini pitch to your community, please check it out, reach out to me. Um, those are all a part of our big goals of getting to 2026. And we just want to welcome as many people to celebrate those wins along the way. So would love to see that.
0: Awesome. I love it. We'll make sure to link to all this in the show notes. And Tori, thank you again for taking the time to share. This has been so much fun. And you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and all the work you and your team are doing. So thanks for being here. Thank you, Danielle. Appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you guys so much for joining us and tuning in to The Big League Philanthropist. I loved having Tori join us for such a great episode. You can connect with her on LinkedIn at type in her name, Tori Rambatavoye. I will put that in the show notes. You can connect with the U.S. Soccer Foundation on Instagram, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. I will put those in the show notes as well so you can see those different handles. I just want to thank Tori again for taking the time to sit down with us and to chat. It's always a pleasure to highlight the work that she and her team at the U.S. Soccer Foundation are doing. I know they're supporting a ton of organizations around the country, uh, so it's really, really cool to see And again, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Share the episode with a friend who you think would love this conversation. And a huge thank you to Tegan Bonamaye Garcia at Team Taco What's Next for his help creating this episode. We'll see you next time for another inspiring conversation here at the Big League Philanthropist. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.